right, hey, welcome to Liquid Church, everybody. I'm Pastor Tim. I haven't seen you all since uh, Christmas Eve, so let me wish you a big happy new year. In fact, let's give a big happy new year to our six campuses. Joining us around the state, we're praise God for you. Or if you're joining us through church online, glad you're here for our January series, Simplify. And it's funny, over the break, someone asked me, they said, hey, Pastor Tim, how do the uh, sermon series work at Liquid? Like, is, it, is it there like a rhyme or reason to it, or is it just kind of like random, like whatever hits you? Uh, for instance, this series, Simplify. Why, why this series and why now in January? And the answer is, this is actually a series I've had in mind for over a year. It was over a year ago when I first encountered the book by the name of Simplify by Bill Hybels. He's a pastor of Willow Creek Church in Chicago. And look at this, look at this subtitle. That grabbed my attention. Ten Practices to Unclutter Your Soul. Um, I'm a big fan of simple living, but that is a huge challenge living where we, we do, isn't it? I mean, you live right outside of New York City, Manhattan, where the pace of life is anything but simple. Life in New Jersey is cluttered, it is crowded, it is costly, very expensive. The pace of life, I think, is kind of fast and furious, borderline frantic. And so a lot of people in our church feel um, overwhelmed. You know, that's a word I hear a lot talking with, with liquidites, really three words. I fear people saying, you know, I feel overwhelmed. I hear them say, I'm overscheduled. That is, my calendar is crammed, and I can't seem to keep up. And I also hear them say, you know, I'm exhausted. I am tired of running this kind of rat race at an unsustainable pace. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overscheduled. I'm exhausted. And you will hear these words from young and old. I hear them from rich and poor. I hear them from professionals who work in the city uh, to parents who stay at home. I hear them from men. I hear it from women. Uh, Republicans and Democrats, it's a bipartisan issue. Uh, so I thought to myself a year ago, I was like, hey, what if we started January with a clean calendar? Woo, look at that. You know, the year laid out before us, it's like, look at that, white virgin snow. And we said, what if in 2017, we invested the first few weeks learning to simplify, simplify our schedules, replenish our relationships, unclutter our soul? Could we as a church actually eliminate the stuff that leads us exhausted and depleted and learn kind of new patterns and practices that actually fill us up, leave us like energized and replenished, you know, living out of overflow, life to the full, like Jesus described. So it's a new year. You've got a new calendar full of days set before you. And so before you go ahead and fill them all in with busyness, this series is an invitation to clear the clutter and simplify your schedule. Now, of all the people that Jesus interacted with over his three-year teaching ministry, I really only know of one person who he kind of zeroed in on and said, hey, you, you, uh, you are, hold on a minute, you are overwhelmed, you're overscheduled, you're exhausted, you've got this all wrong. And if you want to live life to the full, you have to learn how to simplify. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Yeah, it's a close friend of Jesus. It was a woman and her name was Martha. Now, I've talked about her before, but here's a little-known fact. Um, Jesus had hundreds of followers during his ministry, but it wasn't just the 12 disciples that he chose to be close with. He actually, in that 12, he chose an inner circle of three of his disciples, Peter, James, and anybody? John. Those were like his inner circle of three. But then there were three others outside that circle, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. They actually supported Jesus' ministry. And they lived in this little suburb of Jerusalem called Bethany. You can actually still visit there today in Israel. And uh, they actually had a guest room that they kept just for Jesus. 
And he would visit them from time to time when the demands of ministry got too much and he needed a little break just to kind of replenish himself with his inner circle. And in Luke chapter 10, we're told the demands on Jesus were growing, right? The more he taught, the more people wanted, right? More healings, more miracles, more of everything. So you think you have a busy schedule? Jesus's calendar was packed, okay? The demands were great. And from time to time, Jesus would call a timeout and say to his disciples, let's retreat to Bethany, where we can kind of unwind and recharge with close friends for a day or two. So one day Jesus makes this pit stop in Bethany, and here's how Luke described their visit. It says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where, there, where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was, what's the word, church? Distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are, what's it say, worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what's better and it will not be taken away from her. Again, if you've been around Liquid, you've probably heard me preach from this text before, but I really believe this is a text for the times we're living in. We live very busy lives, don't we? A world of worry and distraction that kind of leaves our soul in this churned up state of irritation and dangerous depletion. It happened to me over Christmas. I'm, I'm not like a teacher in this. I'm like a fellow learner. It was nothing crazy, just kind of the manic pace of the holidays. You know, here at Liquid on, on Christmas Eve, remember, we had uh, 16 services uh, across six locations. I was privileged to preach at uh, four of them, uh, you know, so it was like every couple hours, like 12, 2, 4, and 6. You know, we had over 5,000 people. It's an amazing day. But when I got home that night, man, I was just wiped. I was a crispy critter, you know? So I drive home on Christmas Eve, and I walk through the front door to a house full of 18 people, right, <laughs> who I love, all family, friends, people I love and, and love to be with. And so we host Christmas Eve, and uh, my wife, Colleen, she's in the kitchen. She's getting the appetizers and the hors d'oeuvres, and, and we had a great time. But around midnight, I was kind of like, when's everyone going home, you know? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm done, you know? Like, I just need to... And uh, everyone's like, oh, no, no, we're not leaving yet. We're hanging. I was like, oh, okay, great. And uh, so around 1 o'clock, people start heading out the door and everything. And I'm just like, wow, well, that was amazing. High five, sweetheart. Let's go to bed. She's like, oh, no, no, we got to wrap presents. I go, what? She goes, I wrapped all my presents. Did you wrap yours? I was like, ah, you know? I realized, of course, I didn't. Left it to the last minute. And so we go downstairs, get out the wrapping paper and the tape and all that stuff. My son, like, woke up. He comes down. He's like, Daddy, what's going on? Is Santa coming? I'm like, he's not coming, you know? And I'm wrapping presents until uh, 2 or 2.30 in the morning. Finally got to bed around 2.30. And of course, the kids get up. What time? 6 a.m. Yeah. So three and a half, four hours sleep, right? And of course, they rip through the presents in about seven seconds. And then around 12 o'clock, ding dong, 20 more people because we're hosting Christmas Day. And I was a little bit depleted would be the thing. The thing is, I love my family. My, my brother's wife came in from San Francisco. We had grandmothers there. It was a wonderful, wonderful people, but I just didn't have any emotional reserves. So I was kind of short and snippy. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Welcome. There's drinks over here. And, you know, like very, a little bit short and everything. And I found myself kind of avoiding conversation. Like people are like, so tell me how things are going. I was like, oh, you know, really, really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and actually find myself going to rooms where there nobody was until I found myself actually hiding in the bathroom. <laughs> have you ever done this? It's sad. I didn't even have to go to the bathroom. I'm just hiding in the bathroom at one point. And I caught myself thinking, this is too much. When is everyone going to leave so I can go back to bed, you know? Like, there's the Christmas spirit, right? That's a bit of what's going on here with Mary and Martha. You, you can see the dynamics of the meltdown a mile away, right? Jesus says, I'm going to drop by for a surprise visit. And Mary kind of goes with the flow. She pulls up a chair, right? She might have said something like, oh, Jesus, I'm, come on in. I'm so glad you stopped by, you know? How's it going out on the road? You know, are the Pharisees still on your back? Uh, you know, are they? You, you can be honest. We're among friends. Hey, Jesus, what happens in Bethany stays in Bethany, you know? Be close friends. And so Mary pulls up a chair and has this kind of one-on-one -on -one chat with Jesus, catching up on their relationship. Whereas Martha, on the other hand, heads straight into the kitchen to get a meal going because she's like, well, I don't have anything to eat, right? And so she kind of moves into like, Hostess mode, right? Well, oh gosh, Jesus and the boys are here. We're going to eat appetizers, entrees. And if you ever confuse like Mary and Martha, like which sister is which, the one in the kitchen is Martha. Here's a little memory device. Think Martha Stewart, okay? <laughs> She's kind of the hostess, and she needs everything to be perfect. So, so Martha's in the kitchen whipping up, you know, some apps, and Mary's on the, on the living room couch sitting there talking with Jesus. No worries. Division of labor, it's all good. Actually, it's not all good. Because at some point, Martha snaps. She, she loses it. I imagine her in the kitchen, stirring the pot, running back and forth, checking on him, probably starting to drop hints to her sister that she needs a helping hand. Like, okay, hey, Mary, can you, uh, can you help out here? Can you see if Jesus wants something to drink? You know, and, and Mary's like, oh, well, oh, oh, yeah, sure. You know, uh, Jesus, would you, uh, you know, would you like some wine? And, uh, you know, and he's like, no, thanks. I, uh, I made my own. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, and she's like, she's like, oh, no, we're, we're, he's good, he's good. We're just talking, and, and, you know, Martha's like, yeah, you do that. You sit there and talk with Jesus, you know. <laughs> Shooting her the stink eye. She's oblivious, right? So, so Martha actually bursts in the room and interrupts, and she doesn't address Mary. She accuses Jesus. Look at her words. This is amazing. Lord, don't you care? Let's just pause here and think of the irony, who she's talking to. She's talking to the one who voluntarily left heaven's splendor to put on human flesh and come to earth. She's talking to the one who's been out on the road teaching and serving and healing others until he's absolutely exhausted. Jesus, don't you care? I thought you were, were loving, but you're, you're really a cold, uncompassionate person. I picture her waving her spoon. Lord, she amplifies, don't you care that my deadbeat sister has left me, deadbeat is in the Greek, uh, left me to do the work by myself? She's like just getting warmed up. She waves the spoon in Jesus' face. She says, tell her to help me, right? Tell her to help me. Look at that, a bunch of Tims in the distance. That's so strange. It's happening. Doo, 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 doo. I can paraphrase, but I have a feeling she's a little bit like, you listen to me, Messiah man. You tell my deadbeat sister to get in the kitchen and helping, or I'm going to stick the spoon where the sun don't shine. 
And Jesus' reaction is priceless. It's amazing. She says all these things, but notice Jesus doesn't stir the pot. He doesn't escalate the conflict. He doesn't power up on Mary and say, how dare you speak to the Son of God that way? According to the text, Jesus simply says her name twice. He says, Martha, Martha. He's not shaming her. He's not scolding her. He's dialing it down. He's saying, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. He can tell she's stressed. He can tell she's frazzled and frantic, or to use the words in our culture, that she's overscheduled and overwhelmed and exhausted. And he says, Martha, I want you to step away from the spoon and simplify. You are making my visit way more complicated than it needs to be. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only how many? One. In other words, Jesus is like, Martha, let me simplify for you. Whenever I come by, it's not for the food. Newsflash, I fed 5,000 people last week. I can arrange food whenever I need it. When I stop by, Martha, it's for one thing. It's for this. It's for relationship. It's for our friendship. It's, it's for the exchange of love between friends. That's what I want. That's what I'm here for, to connect with you. Few things are needed, or indeed only one. And, and your sister Mary has chosen what is, what's the word? Better. Better. And it will not be taken away from her. See, in the busyness of her task list, Martha literally missed what mattered most. But Mary got it. Mary chose relationship, which is what Jesus is looking for in his followers. And Jesus says, I'm actually not going to send her into the kitchen to do stuff that distracts from that because busyness is the enemy of relationship. If you're taking notes. So Martha, you need to actually follow Mary's example. Only one thing is needed. And I want you to Put the spoon down and simplify. Come on. Come out of the kitchen. Pull up a chair in the living room. Have a conversation with me. Hybels writes this in his book. He says, your heart and mine yearn for an antidote to all the drivenness and busyness in our lives. And the antidote isn't getting it all done in the kitchen or the office or the mall. The antidote is leaving that stuff sometimes undone to sit down for an unrushed conversation with Jesus. What a story for our times, right? What a gracious invitation. In just a few short words, Jesus teaches us about heaven's priorities. That your Father in heaven isn't obsessed with your tasks and your to-dos and your events and your activities. He's looking for relationship, for unrushed, for un hurried connection. Let's sit down and get caught up with each other. That's what Jesus is after in his followers. I imagine him saying, Martha, come on out here with Mary. We're, we're going to talk about our father and how great his love is. We're going to have a great time. So come out of the kitchen and join us. So on Christmas Day, I didn't come out of the bathroom. I just stayed there for a while, honestly. And then it was time for dinner, and it was awkward, like, where's Tim? Oh, he's still in the bathroom. All right, here I come, you know? 
And so I come out, and of course, I'm, I had a long day at work, a late night rapping session, house full of relatives. I had no emotional reserves. And we had a great lunch. But then I started kind of freaking out a little bit because our family was supposed to leave for vacation that night, and I hadn't packed yet. And I said, Kyle, I know you packed. Did you pack? She goes, no, your suitcase is in the, is in the uh, attic there. Thank you. And so I said, well, I got I to gotta, I gotta pack. I got to get this, you know. And so I, it was funny, it was uncharacteristic. I started moving into Martha mode. People are like around the house eating, and I'm like, are you done with that? And I'm taking plates from people. They're like, oh. I start cleaning up because I want to shut this thing down so that I can pack. And so our guests are there, and I'm like, I'll take that. Do you want to refill it? No, you don't? Okay, great. Moving it around. And actually, you remember this, sweetheart? I actually started going around to rooms in our house and turning the lights off. Like, okay, nobody's here in the center. I'll turn that one off. And he's like, oh, Ted's all here. Oh, he's almost done. Turning the lights off. And my wife, Colleen, is like, what are you? Are you insane? What are you doing? This is your family. You're making them feel unwelcome and everything. And so I responded like, Jesus, not, okay? <laughs> Instead, I picked up my imaginary spoon and said to my wife, you try preaching forest services. I'm a sermon machine, you know? These nutty relatives eating our stuff and making a mess. You know what Martha's whipping up in the kitchen? It's a recipe for resentment towards those you love. Listen, if you find yourself shaking your spoon and you're telling God what others need to do for you, maybe it's time for you to hear Jesus say, hey, whoa, 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 step away from the spoon. Why don't we sit down together and work this out, you and me? Because somewhere along the way, we've lost our connection. We've, we've lost our friendship. You have lost your bearing on true north, and you're just spinning now, but I have a better plan. Could I ask? I've tried to be honest with you. How many of you here would say, yeah, to start the year, Tim, I am overwhelmed, maybe overscheduled, exhausted, more than I should be? Like, like, we're only a week or two into the new year, and you're already back to your kind of manic Monday routine, right? Eat, sleep, work, repeat. And your calendar's already cluttered, starting, piling up, and so is the stress. And, and you know what I think Jesus is saying to you today? I think he's saying the same thing he said to Martha. Would you sit down your spoon, and let me teach you how to simplify your schedule? Let's talk about what's really important. Come on over. Come into the living room for a conversation with me. Let's, let's you and me talk. Because you have a whole year in front of you. Literally, God just gave you a gift, a brand new blank calendar. So let me ask a question right now. How would you invest your time if Jesus literally controlled your calendar? Or put another way, what would your daily schedule look like if God simplified your schedule? That's how I want to apply Jesus is teaching here in Luke 10. With the rest of our time, I want to teach you how to simplify your schedule according to heaven's priorities. Let me show you how this works. Because my guess is if you're typical, the typical adult here in New Jersey, they fill out their calendar like this. They ask one question. They look at their calendar and they say, okay, what do I want to get done? Right? And it's off to the races. It's like, okay, well, you know, I have to pick up the, or drop the kids off at of school at 7. My first appointment is at, you know, 8.15. Uh, then I have a staff meeting. Then I have lunch with Bill. Uh, then I've got, you know, CrossFit. Uh, then i got to go grocery shopping. Uh, drop the kids off at soccer. Uh, you should pick them up this time. I don't want Dyfus again calling. Uh, remember that, you know. 
this is the question the majority of adults in the Northeast ask when they hit their calendar. They say, God, what do I want to get done? And they pack all these events and activities with no wiggle room, no second to spare. And then at night, we fall into bed and our prayer is this, God, give me the energy to do it all again tomorrow, <laughs> right? But serious followers of Christ ask a different question. They take this question and flip it on its head. They say, if Jesus' number one priority is relationship, my guiding question is not, what do I want to get done? But who do I want to become? See, the truth is, your calendar is causing you to become somebody. This is a very powerful tool that shapes your life. It shapes your marriage, your, your parenting, your, 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 your whole destiny. Your calendar is causing you to become someone. Can I ask, is it causing you to become a, a workaholic dad who's rarely home? Is it causing you to become a chronically exhausted mom who's always frazzled and irritable? Is your calendar causing you to become a disgruntled employee who's always complaining that's your boss's fault, you know? Is your calendar causing you to become someone who's actually, you know, more and more out of shape and, and, and rarely exercises? Or would you say, no, 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 my calendar is actually causing me to become a more present and engaged parent. It's, it's, it's my schedule's making me become a more devoted husband or wife, a more passionate follower of Jesus, a real friend of Christ. My calendar is causing me to become someone who's actually physically fit and in better shape than high school because your calendar is causing you to be somebody. And the question is this, do you like who you're becoming? Look back on 2016. If you don't like what you see, the question is this, who do you want to become in 2017? Because you have to set your schedule based on Jesus' priority, which is relationship. It's relationship with God and with those you love. It's not just important, it's the only thing that's eternal. Relationship is the only thing you can take with you when you leave this earth. So if relationship is priority number one, everything else in life means it's going to fill in around that. Let me show you kind of how this works. Because as I thought about 2017, the kind of person me, Tim Lucas, want to become, I felt like God telling me, you know what, keep it simple, Tim. Three things. Because outside of our work, there's basically, I can like have headspace for three things to focus on. I felt like God confirming there are three relationships I want you to zero in on this year. The first is your friendship with me. Everything else flows out of my friendship with Jesus. My wife can tell you, any of my friends can tell you, when, when I'm deeply connected to Christ, what I mean by that is when I'm actually reading his word, when I'm reading the Bible and inviting its wisdom into my life, and I'm journaling and asking the hard questions, you know, God, what do you want me to give my energy to this day? God, uh, what relationships do you want me to repair? Are there words that I spoke in that were careless that I need to uh, fix or repent of? What things in my character? And God speaking back to me, I am at my best. I'm the best version of me. I'm the best husband I could be, the best father, the best pastor, the best leader. So I schedule time for my friendship with God. The second is my romance with Colleen. If you're new, I should clarify, Colleen's my wife. <laughs> Not the church organist, okay? <laughs> we don't even have an organ, all right, whatever. Here's the deal. I don't want a mediocre marriage, okay? We've been married 18 years, and I have seen so many couples just become roommates. You know, like, like, like co-parents. Co 
Like, you see this all the time, like, a relationship that was once full of, like, passion and fun and adventure in dating becomes this kind of lifeless routine. And I'm like, I don't want that for my marriage. I want a hot tamale marriage. You know what I'm saying? So I schedule it. Somebody's like, how do you do that? I'll show you in a minute. Third thing I felt God saying is memories with my kids. My daughter's a freshman in high school. My son's in middle school. So I realized time is shrinking. There are four to six more years with them at home. I felt like God saying to me, Tim, this year, make as many memories as you can with them. Be as present as you can at home. Make memories with your kids before they're off to college. So I'm scheduling that. Now, those are just my, my priority goals, okay? Notice they're family-centric because I'm kind of a family guy. That's my stage of life, right? I'm a husband. I'm a father. Yours may be different. I want you to think about them. You, you may be single. Uh, you may, maybe you don't have kids. Maybe you're an empty nester. I left room in your notes for you to write, what are my top relational goals? Because if these are my highest relational priorities, God, marriage, family, then what I need to do next is harness the power of my calendar and actually schedule my relationships on a weekly basis. Let me show you how I do that. For instance, to prioritize my friendship with God, I schedule something every day called the first 15. And this is the first 15 minutes of my day when the alarm goes off. This my alarm goes off around 6 a.m. And let me show you a little snapshot of my Google Calendar. Actually, this is, I just took this screenshot from my phone here. And I give myself about 15 minutes just to clear out the cobwebs, you know, whatever. But then at 6.15, the first 15 minutes of every morning, I spend meeting with God. Where do I meet with God? Right here. This is the chair in my house, my bedroom, that I go to every morning at 6.15. And I start the day by opening God's word, reading the Bible, and say, God, pour your wisdom into my soul, into my life. I talk with him about all the things that are close to my heart. And I say, what's on, what's on your heart? Speak to me. And then I, I pray and I actually listen. I spend those first 15 minutes talking to God and reading his word. And the reason I schedule it is because if I don't, it ain't going to happen. Once I arrive at the office, it is off to the races. It is meetings, it is phone calls, it's emails, it is appointments, every moment, every second of every day. And I have found that in order for me to actually stay spiritually grounded, to walk in step with God's spirit, or actually follow God's guidance, not just Tim's ideas or what other people want me to do, I have to protect those first quiet, uninterrupted 15 minutes with him, like Mary did, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to what he said. For years, I'd pick up my smartphone, and I'd check the, the news feed. But what happens is it gets me into doing mode, and I never return to prayer. So those first 15 minutes for me are crucial to live out God's priorities for the day. Here's my question for you. Do you have dedicated time set aside in your schedule to develop your friendship with God? Or are you like the majority of Christians who are like, hope it's going to happen, right? I am shocked by the number of Christians who assume that somehow spontaneously they're going to develop this relationship and friendship with God deeper. I mean, look, every one of us would say, of course, I want to be closer to God this year. But when I say, show me in your schedule how you plan to do that, they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, show me your calendar. Flip on your phone. Show me. And they have no idea what I'm talking about. They're like, uh, well, like on Sunday, like we're going to flip a coin. Maybe we'll go to liquid. I, like, you mean like that? I'm like, no, like, like committed daily time like you develop any relationship. If you don't have that, let me challenge you to tap the words first 15 into your calendar and repeat Sunday through 
Monday. My first goal is deepening friendship with God. My second is a passionate romance with my wife, Colleen. Now, again, how does that happen? Because some of you are like scheduling romance. <laughs> romance should be spontaneous. <laughs> Just happen. If you've been married two decades, it's just the opposite. I, I'm sorry to break your naivete, like, oh, romance just happens. It does not just happen. The nature of relationships is actually to cool off over time and for adults to drift apart. And that's why I intentionally schedule time to be alone with my wife each week. Again, just the two of us. I'll show you in my calendar. This is every Friday. At 12 noon, we have a standing lunch date. And it's... A, Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> Let's get it out, ladies. Ah, All the guys are like, you suck, you know? <laughs> just hear me out, hear me out on this one, hear me out on this one, all right? It's nothing fancy. We, like, literally, we just, like, we went to the diner on Friday, right? It's not fancy. It's, it's literally, it's because my, my work schedule is different than yours. I work Sunday through Thursday, so Friday is kind of like my Saturday, and the kids are at school. And so every Friday, instead of like, let's go to the mall, let's go to Home Depot, let's go to Bed Bath & Beyond, all these like chores, we say, let's schedule that 12 o'clock, and we're going to have an hour where we actually sit in a booth, and we're going to catch up. How did the week go? How are the kids doing? Do we still have two of them? You know, like the basic stuff. And again, if you look at my calendar, if you literally stole my phone, I'm going to throw it up on the screen, you'll see I balance, it's equal parts work and equal parts relationship. Like, I have breakfast here. Peter Pendell, who's that? That's an older senior pastor who's in his 60s, who's like my pastor. Because even though I'm a pastor, I need to be pastored. Other men who are farther down the road to speak into me, to challenge me, tell me what they're seeing. And so I schedule, actually, relationship. And, and, and I, again, that's just me. You have a different priority. I want you to apply this to yourself. But I want a hot tamale marriage, so I schedule it. Again, ladies, I, I was just joking, but before you nudge your husband and be like, this is for you, all right? <laughs> Wish you were a model husband like Pastor Tim, you know? You need to know, this comes out of a major failure in our marriage. I've told you 10 years ago when we started this church, I was a functioning workaholic. Rarely present at home for Kyle or the kids, and we burned out. We hit the wall, the wheels came off. And it took a full year of marriage counseling to heal that fracture. But do you know what made the biggest difference? Not the counseling. Watch. This. My calendar. Out of our counseling, we took a machete to my schedule and said, I'm going to be home four nights a week, and I'm going to start scheduling dates and appointments and vacations. And that was like the turning point. It was when I committed to simplify my schedule that God actually healed our marriage. And today it's stronger than ever, but it took a major course correction that started with simplifying my schedule. See, this is so powerful, guys. You don't know how powerful this is. Most adults think their calendar is for work and logistics. Reminders to drop off the car or pick up the dry cleaning. But Christ followers, they say, I'm going to ask a different question. It's not, what do I have to get done? I'm going to ask, who do I want to become? Who's God calling me to be? For me, in 2017, I want to be a friend of God. I want to be more in love and devoted to my wife at 20, more than we met when we 25 years ago, right? More in love now. That takes scheduling. It takes intentionality. So understand, as you shape your calendar, your calendar will shape you. As you decide who you want to become, 
You have to declare it by putting it in your schedule, and then you have to live it out, and it shapes your whole life. The third thing I felt God calling me to do is make memories with my kids, and so, uh, no surprise, I schedule it. My daughter's in high school. I'm like, okay, four more years before college, and here's a question I'm asking this year. I'm asking myself, what investment of time will it take to not just be an average dad? You know, just getting by? But like an engaged, fantastic father during these fleeting growing up years. And so the first thing that I do every year, I started this in December, you can ask my wife, is I actually schedule our family vacations before I put pen to paper about work. I say, when are we going to take a trip? When are we going to have family time to make memories before I actually fill anything in around my work? Uh, over break, we took uh, the family away, um, actually took the kids deep sea fishing. Uh, it was pretty incredible. Uh, we caught a three-foot barracuda, okay? It's just making memories. They will never forget that. They will also never go in the water again, <laughs> which is kind of... But I, I, I schedule that in. We scheduled that in over 12 months ago to have that moment. And, and so I schedule these in. Th this year, I, I, we already scheduled it in. We're taking a family road trip to the Grand Canyon. We're going we're gonna to rent an RV. I'm going to be like Clark Griswold. Sorry, kids. You know, kind of... <laughs> Well, we'll make memories one way or the other, right? I got a father-son canoe trip already planned in August. That's eight months from now, but I plan my schedule around it. This is a high priority for us. It is protected. Do you, parents, do you want to become someone who fosters deep, rich, lasting memories with your kids? Of course you do. If that's you, then you write family vacation on your calendar in permanent ink. I am, yes, my staff, I'm totally serious about this. One of my staff members said uh, in their year-end review, they were like, there were six vacation days I didn't use this year. I'm like, that is a total failure. Here's your smart goal for next year. I want you to schedule your family vacation before you set your ministry calendar. You're like, serious? I'm like, serious. They're like, awesome. I'm that serious about it. There is great power in writing a single word on your calendar. You guys know John Grisham, the novelist, the writer? You probably, he writes like legal thrillers, The Firm, Time to Kill. One of the best-selling authors in our generation Grisham is actually a committed Christian. Do you know that? He's a, he's a Christ follower. Do you know how he became an author? Because he's an attorney by training. He went to law school. So he becomes a lawyer and realizes, I hate this. He's like, I hate law. I hate the practice. I don't want to be a, a lawyer. I want to be a writer. But he had no idea where to begin. And so in John Grisham's, if you read his biography, you will find that one year he said, well, I'll start here. And he wrote a single word, the word write on his calendar at the start of the year. He said, this year, I'm going to get to the office 60 minutes early every day, and I'm going to write one page a day. And they lived it out. So how many pages did he have at the end of the first year? 365, his first novel. That's how he became an author. The rest is history. Today, he is one of the most prolific writers of our generation because he put a single word committed to it and then lived it out. A single word can change your life. It can change your marriage. It can change your family. It can change your health. So here's my question to you. What word will you write in 2017 if I gave you a pen? That's the word I'm asking you to do. See, there's actually an action step. I'm giving you homework for this series. Every week, I'm going to challenge you to take action tomorrow. And this week, your assignment is to sit down and draft a God-first schedule. And say, what would my schedule look like if Jesus controlled my calendar? Maybe you take that to your prayer time tomorrow. Maybe you actually, you start with your first 15 and you ask the Holy Spirit, you say, it's not 
God, I'm surrendering. What do I want to get done? And I want to ask you, who do you want me to become? Who do you want me to become? This year, I'm going to give my first 15 minutes. I'm going to stop picking up my phone and looking first at the news, and I'm going to use 15 minutes to read my Bible and pray and spend time with Jesus. My, my wife did it this past year. She um, downloaded an app. It's called Bible in One Year, and she's almost done. Of course, you fall a little bit behind, right? But it's like she's like a few weeks away from completion. She read through in one year the entire Old Testament and the New Testament, 15 minutes a day. Maybe you're going to write the word um, uh, date. You're like, okay, Tim, I don't have, uh, you know, Friday's off. Nice for you. Uh, we got little kids, right? You know, and they're always home or whatever. But you know what? Before we had kids, oh, I remember. My wife and I used to go rock climbing, you know, and, and this new rock climbing gym just opened in the town next to me. So on Wednesday night, I'm going to kidnap my wife, and we're going to go on a kids-free date. We're going to go rock climbing. And sometimes we feel like jumping off the cliff, but this is, this is the one. I'm going to jumpstart that. Baby steps, people. One thing, one thing. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't want to hear about your marriage anymore. You're making me throw up in your, my mouth a little bit. <laughs> I know you. You're like, hey, I, I don't have a, a marriage like that. Our, ours is in crisis. Ours is strained. Great. You write the word counsel. And you say, you know what? What is my marriage worth? I'm going to challenge you to commit to five or six weeks of counseling with a Christian counselor. You know why? Because marriage fractures do not spontaneously heal without intentional treatment. And so maybe you're going to say, this is the year I'm serious, and I'm going to schedule it in, and I'm going to see it through. And you give God a chance to work, to heal those hurts, to resolve anger issues. Maybe you're going to write the word gym. You're like, oh my gosh, sore spot. I look back, you know, you're like, I look back on this year, and I, I gained 20 pounds, and uh, it's taken me more and more coffee just to get through the day, and it's not healthy. So this year, I'm going to actually go to the gym with my roommate, that crazy CrossFit thing, whatever. I'll go once or twice a week. Doesn't matter what it is. Write it down. What is it for you? It may literally change some of your life like it did John Grisham. You may actually write the words night class in here. Some of you spent a lot of energy last year complaining about your dead-end job. I hate what I do. It's not what God fashioned me, called me to do. Great. What are you passionate about? What are you called to do? And what step are you scheduling to get there and make that different next year? Take a night class. Last fall, Colleen and I, we wrote the word group in on Tuesday nights because we were like, we need fellowship and prayer with other believers. We can't just be in isolation. We need to be connected. And so we joined a, a small group. You got a great opportunity. We're starting this church-wide groups campaign in February, going through the book of Revelation, write group on your schedule, sign up. I don't know what it is for you, but what would those priorities be for you if you said, man, this is how God would want me to invest my time? Maybe it's family and you're like, I can't do a family vacation, Tim. That's just not where I'm at. But you're like, you know what? Baby steps. This Saturday, before I drop the kids off at practice, I'm going to take them to the diner and we're going to get chocolate chip pancakes and sit at the counter baby steps, one thing at a time, but write it down. The point is not filling your calendar as quick as possible. It's to begin teaching yourself a new habit of prioritizing the mission-critical stuff that shapes the kind of person God wants you to become. So my question is, what words would you write? What words are you going to write when you go home today? Better yet, what are you going to say no thanks to? See, here, here's the secret. Some of you are looking at the schedule. Look at the schedule again. You're like, 
That does not seem very simplified, right? And that's because you can't do it all. But if you're going to prioritize relationship over busyness, you have to learn three magic words. You ready? No, thank you. Turn to your neighbor. Say, no, thank you. Yeah, feels good, right? This is very hard for people pleasers, but it's liberating. You see, to say yes to the best stuff, you have to say no to the good stuff. So far this year, I've said no to a lot of things in order to keep my sanity and keep things simple. I've said no to some outside speaker requests. I love to talk at other churches and help people wherever I can, but now I'm like, I'm only going to do maybe two of those this year. And so when we were on vacation, sure enough, you know, I got a text from a friend, a pastor in Pennsylvania. He's like, hey, we're thinking to do a marriage retreat. Can you come and speak at the marriage retreat? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Let me, you know, check with my wife. And I said a call. I was like, hey, you know, what about this marriage retreat? And the look she gave me? <laughs> yeah. So I text him back. I'm like, hey, I would love to, but if I speak your marriage retreat, I won't be married. You know? <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah? I-, I said no, thank you to a, a free trip to... Uh, Tanzania, a missions agency, invited me to go to, on a tour to see the work they do with orphans in Africa. And they said, we'll even do this kind of safari at the end of the trip. Would I enjoy that? Yes, sir. What did I say? No, thank you. I can't do it. This season, I can't be away from my family that long or our church family. We're opening a new building this year. And I got to keep my eye on the ball and I got to keep first things first. Saying no is one of the hardest spiritual disciplines you have to learn. To say no, thank you to good things. I said no to golf. I have this friend. I some of your guys are like, you just lost me, bro. I have this one friend who was like, Tim, you got to play golf, man. It's fun. It's social. I'm like, ah, oh, it's expensive. He's like, no, I'll pay your way. And I had to say no thank you. Why? Not because I not have anything against golf. It's just that this season of life, I am unwilling to invest six hours of my free time to be away from my family. It doesn't make me like a better person or a husband or something. It just sets boundaries around my schedule. Your calendar is causing you to be somebody. The question is, do you have a plan for who you want to become in 2017? Guys, I really, I feel strongly about this. You probably tell. At the start of a new year, I feel one of the holiest things you can do is prayerfully simplify your schedule. You shape your calendar, and then your calendar shapes you. So let me ask, who do you want to become in 2017? Jesus says there's a choice. Do you want to be Martha with her spoon? Worried, distracted, stink eye in the room. (laughs) Overwhelmed, exhausted. Or Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet, listening to what he said, invested in relationship. Jesus gave his verdict. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You got a choice this year. Choose wisely. This year, as your pastor, I pray you will set down your spoon and simplify for the stuff that really matters. God's given you a gift. It's a blank page. Choose what is better. Amen? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father God, I know this is speaking to people. I feel it speaking to me. And God, I pray right now, um, just for your protection, that nobody would feel condemned 
or you know, beat themselves up for priorities that are out of whack, but Father, we'd feel convicted and realize that's a sign of your love, your Holy Spirit speaking to us. Lord, it's not just every year, but every week you call us to recalibrate our lives for what's truly important. God, we only have, you know, 70, 80 years on this planet. And we know it's only relationships with you and those we love that last for eternity. So, Father, help us. I ask for your Holy Spirit. Lord, help men who are feeling convicted and have huge responsibilities. God, some way more than me. I pray that you'll give them the strength, Lord, to make sacrifices to simplify their schedule. I pray for, for women. I pray for kids and families, Father God. Lord, I'm your friend. I love you. I pray that they'll feel you as their friend, inviting them to develop that friendship with you. Pour into them now the power of the Holy Spirit to follow through. In Jesus' name and power, everyone said together, amen.